right? Right now we get a certain amount of money for a person who shows up in the building, but there's more to learning than showing up in your building. Learning doesn't happen just inside a building. It happens all around you. The biggest silver lining for me is experiencing the joy of learning something new. I have been given permission to learn things that are outside of what I probably have been doing. And that's exciting. This pandemic has forced students to learn at home and educators have had to make a fast pivot to remote teaching. This season, I'm talking with teachers and students across the United States to find the silver linings of our situation, to find out what matters most in school, and to use those lessons as we reimagine the future of education. This is Change the Narrative, the podcast about innovation in education and the workplace. I'm your host and tour guide, Michael Hernandez. Teresa Arsenault has been in education for 20 years, teaching math and science to fourth through eighth graders. A founding teacher at Gateway Middle School, an urban charter school in San Francisco, she taught sixth grade math and science for eight years and now serves as the math and science instructional coach. Her primary responsibility is to support the professional development of new and veteran math and science teachers. She supports the design of curriculum, models teaching, and serves as a resource. Outside of school, she is a member of the Exploratorium's teacher leadership, where she serves as a mentor to new science teachers. She also works for the education department at the Marine Mammal Center, facilitating the revision of Ocean Ambassadors curriculum. She's intrigued by the natural history of Northern California and loves exploring her neighborhood, especially the hidden gems of Golden Gate Park. She is known as the teacher who wears a hairbrush. The one thing that drives her family crazy is her level of distraction when making hard-boiled eggs. Imagine what happens when the water's boiled away. (laughs) I can imagine that's a great science experiment. (laughs) It certainly was, and it's a big mess to clean up. Um, and we were just talking before we started this conversation that you were kind of modestly leaving out this fact that you're also, uh, was it moderating or leading an um, online course for Harvard? I'm actually an online coach. So I'm supporting the teachers that are taking the course, uh, which is called Making Learning Visible. And it's through Project Zero at Harvard University. Wow. And so I'm working with teachers. Um, currently, my team is in Dubai. And uh, so I'm supporting them as they work through this course. That's fantastic. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very interesting. And uh, the teachers that I'm working with are so thoughtful. And um, ex- just like I experience here, there's so much care and concern for students. And also, how do you support them in an online environment when you were originally doing face-to-face teaching? Um, and so really learning how do we continue to develop their skills and facilitate group learning through a computer. It sounds like a very timely topic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wish we could all take your class. I definitely need it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so you're doing a lot of stuff. You have your fingers in a lot of pots. You Exploratorium in San Francisco is amazing. It's a great facility. Mm-hmm. If, if our listeners haven't been there yet, it's, it's fantastic. Lots of great educational resources. You're definitely connected to what's happening out there. Um, and I'm wondering, though, like, what is there something that you secretly like about working from home? Uh, this question is like, yes, I, there are some things I absolutely love about working at home. Uh, one of the ones is that I can have my morning routine 
where I can get up and I can read and I can go for a walk and I can have a leisurely breakfast and then I can sit down and work. And the other one, which most people probably don't think too much about, is I love the fact that there's not a long line for the bathroom all at the same time. Because in a, <laughs> in a school, we can go to the bathroom in between our classes, and everybody's going to the bathroom in between their classes. So I love the fact that I can do that on my own. I know that's it's a weird thing. It's the little things, man. <laughs> it's, you know, bodily functions, the bio break is kind of important, right? Why, yeah. what other job can you not go to the bathroom whenever you want, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and our school doesn't have a lot of bathrooms because back in the 1900s, early 1900s, when schools were built, I guess they didn't think people needed lots of bathrooms. So, um, so those are kind of my secret pleasures <laughs> of working from home. <laughs> you ask for a lot. <laughs> Breakfast and the bathroom. I mean, <laughs> um, so you've been, you know, locked down like the rest of us. Um, what have you learned about yourself while being on quarantine? I've learned that I really need a routine if I'm going to work from home. Um, I've learned that I thought I was going to be one of those people that was going to clean the house because I had time and I was going to watch all these programs on TV. I've learned that I didn't like cleaning before the quarantine and I still don't like it. And so it's still <laughs> not getting done. Um, and I don't want to watch TV. Um, and I have other things. And the best thing is for me to be able to um, keep my sanity, actually, is I had to find a project that was intriguing to me that was going to allow me to be creative um, and keep me going. Um, and so I've rediscovered my passion. And I was out in Golden Gate Park one day and I looked up and there's this huge Ferris wheel in the concourse. And I'm like, what is that? And why is it there? And so that has started me on this whole trajectory of finding unusual things in the park and then doing the research behind them and trying to figure out what's going on in Golden Gate Park. So I've learned a lot about the people who designed the park. I'm learning about the topography of the park um, and finding out why do we have bison there? Um, and then most importantly, why is that Ferris wheel there? There are bison in San Francisco? There are bison in the park, yeah. And there actually was, I think it was 11 years ago, they actually replenished the herd. And there are no male bison, they're only female because the male get too aggressive. Of course. Um, so so, and so this, this was my passion. And so I go out every single day and I find something interesting and I go read about it and learn about it. And then I post something on Facebook and my dad, who's also into natural history stuff is loving this and asking all kinds of questions about it. Mm -hmm. So a little connection there. Yeah. So that's learning about me is like, it's this passion about myself, but it's also keeping me sane and going. Do you think your students do that too? Do you think they spend time sort of exploring some passions? I have my, I meet with my advisory every Wednesday and some of them, yes, they're discovering uh, new video games that they like. They've actually gone back into cooking. So a lot of my kids are learning to cook or they're baking with their family. So we've had lots of discussions about different recipes and different cookies that they like to cook. Um, and 
than others have really been talking about their passions with their pets and so how they're getting to know the habits of their pets from a different point of view because now they're home with their pets all day. <laughs> um, and so those are the kinds of things that sixth graders like to talk about. Um, and I'm also learning more about TikTok and the memes because that's what they're into. <laughs> so. I mean, that's kind of critical. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I have to become more familiar with the pop culture. <laughs> so, yes. Yes, exactly. Um, what do you like best about remote work? You know, working from home, either personally or professionally. The part that I like best is that I have more uh, concentrated time to research something that I'm interested in. Because when you're in a school, you're responding to a schedule and you're responding to people's needs. Um, and I like the fact that sometimes I can sit down for 40 minutes and not have anybody interrupt me and I can do that kind of thinking. Um, the part that's hard for me is I personally enjoy connection and seeing people, right? So, but I'm discovering that as we're getting better with Zooming, people need to talk about something. They just text and then in the then in a minute, we're having those conversations. So I'm finding a way to actually take what is important to me, which is that connection and being available to listen and to problem solve and finding ways to make it happen within that remote learning environment. The other piece professionally is like, I do enjoy reading some of my professional journals that are stacked high, and I'm finding that I have time to dig into some of that. Yeah, more time for a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. th that's interesting. So there's a time to explore passion. Um, there's a time to educate yourself, mm -hmm. um, not just about the bison in, in Golden Gate Park, but in your profession, you know, sort of that self-professional development time that you have um, mm -hmm. that you might not during the school year, just mm -hmm. I'm assuming because you're as hectic and busy as the rest of us. And then that other piece is kind of interesting too about, you know, the focus or the quiet time, no one's interrupting you. And I wonder if our students feel that way too. I think what I'm hearing from students is that they're distracted. Um, middle schoolers tend to, you know, their life is really revolving around their friendships and their social stuff. And so we were just talking today and they, I was saying, asking them, what have you learned about yourself um, with this remote learning? And someone said, I learned I'm really distracted and I have to throw my phone somewhere else. Otherwise, I can't focus. And I think that's really a, an important thing to learn. Uh, they were talking about, I'm learning I procrastinate. <laughs> so these, these are 11 and 12-year-olds. So these are, this is really a strong insight that the kids are learning. Um, and then I'm learning that they are actually pretty engaged with some of the topics that they're learning about at home. So our sixth graders uh, are learning about marine mammals and the impact that humans have on the health of marine mammals. And so they've been talking about how that's interesting to them. And they're right now studying Greek mythology. So they are fascinated by all those myths and that's what they're talking about. And so they are engaging with the material. That's so great. And I like the fact that they're recognizing their own personality traits because I feel in talking to some other students and some other teachers too, that everything is, is regulated for the kids. Mm -hmm. It's meted mm -hmm. out to them. You know, the clock 
the time, there's, they don't have to have any self-control when we control it for them. And then what happens once they leave the classroom? They have no control. Right. So, I think I'm thinking of one of my students today who said, I'm learning that I want to get my schoolwork done in the morning because my family goes out in the afternoon for our walk. And when I come back, I don't want to have to do my schoolwork. Um, and I think that's an important learning. Yeah. I don't think I knew that when I was 11 or 12. Right. <laughs> so. And, and also getting a sense for how your body works. You know, like some yes. people are morning people and some people are definitely not morning people. And, you know, that internal clock of what's your sweet spot for doing math? What's your like best time to come up with creative writing ideas? You know, um, it's not always what's prescribed to you on the school calendar. Along those lines too, what we've discovered is like having our morning meetings. The eighth grade morning mo- meeting is at 1230. because they discover because as you're talking to people they're like oh i'm not getting up until 11 or you know whatever so that i mean that is like what i notice about raising my own kids somewhere around that time they just really transfer to sleeping later and going to bed later and so this actually is accommodating them in that way yes that's great so what do you what do you think you talked about some of them already but what are some other advantages of teaching remotely for you or for your students um, I think one of the advantages that's, well, one, one of the things that we have been, we've had to embrace is actually exploring all the different tech tools that are out there. And so for me, I'm coaching teachers in how to use tech tools that I'm not an expert in. So for me, it's a, uh, I'm loving breaking something and putting it together and figuring out how to use it. Uh, Wait, not literally breaking it. (laughs) No, but finding out all the problems because (laughs) uh, one of my jobs right now, I also tutor some students, is like helping them figure out how to navigate something, especially when a link is broken. So I've become really good at that as a master. So I'm learning those kinds of things. And so when I'm working with teachers, I'm saying, okay, let's break this so we can figure out how it's going to work better for our students. And one of the best things that happened this week, uh, I was working with a teacher and we were working with Edpuzzle and we were figuring out how to do certain things with it. And at the end, after an hour and a half of working through this, she had the hugest smile on her face and she was like, oh, I get it and I can work through this and I can figure this out and I know how I'm going to use it. And then the biggest revelation, the biggest thing she said afterwards was like, this is such a great program for remote learning, but I can use it in face-to-face learning. There's so many advantages to it. Mm. Um, And that's what I'm finding is that as we learn how to use a tool strategically and intentionally you are reaping the power of the tool to achieve more than uh, just a repetition of ideas but something for synthesizing and creating and that's kind of exciting for me in that way yeah it's very exciting in yeah. think about the methodology and, and instructional practice as well um, what turns out to be really good for remote learning is actually really good for face-to-face it can with, be very good. With or without tech, you know? 
Yes. Um, so you've worked with a lot of teachers. You coach and support teachers at your school and in these online courses for Harvard and things like that. And I'm, I'm sort of wondering what are some of the lessons you think we've learned as educators in this situation that you want to keep and that you want to implement once the pandemic is over? So some of the lessons I think that are important to learn are really around um, how do you become a facilitator of learning and how do you relinquish that control and of me being in the control, the teacher, but how do you get the kids to be the ones that are asking the questions, the ones that are able to problem solve and to think outside the box. And that's, like even coming from something as small as how do I navigate through this new piece of technology, students are having to manage that somewhat on their own, depending upon the um, what's going on in their home environment. Um, and so somewhere along the line, education, we have to create those opportunities where kids feel empowered to do that and to know that it's okay. I think that's really one of the largest things. It's like who owns the learning? Um, and so how do you structure that piece? The part that um, I think is different right now because we're in emergency remote learning is like how do you use your how do you use tools so that students are actually interfacing with each other and talking and collaborating? Um, and so we had students that did that in the classroom and now they are in a remote situation and we're trying to figure out how to use the tools to facilitate that. So how do we developing those skills, right? Because like even right now in science, you don't know, no one is an expert on any, all of it. You have to talk to someone outside, outside of your field in order to understand things. We have to understand the statistics. We have to understand the science behind something. You have to understand the social and economic impact. So like, how are we working with each other so that we can look at different perspectives? Um, and so in education, how are you bringing in the perspectives and how are you helping everyone be able to take those different points of view? Mm. That's great. Yeah. And definitely we are zooming in experts and things like that. But even just, I was talking to some um, other, in fact, another science teacher at my high school um, is really enjoying the fact that she can collaborate with people outside of her department. She's finding that really inspiring and creative mm -hmm. for her own work in the sciences. So definitely an opportunity there. Um, what advice would you give to other colleagues about this new normal of teaching? Because you seem pretty savvy or open-minded to this. But um, I don't know that everybody is or not everyone's handling in the same way or has the same support that you do um, or is lucky to have you as like a mentor and support. Um, so what would advice would you give to these folks to help them get through these times or make them stronger? On a personal level, the, for myself, because I work with lots of other people, the most important thing that I had to do for myself so that I showed up in a way that I could be a resource was to actually have a fair amount of self-compassion and give myself the opportunity to say, oops, I made a mistake and I'm going to try again. And to not beat myself over the head with making a mistake. I'm learning just as anybody else is learning and this is new. Really appreciate that you're doing the best that you can right now 
and to just realize that. The second part for myself is that right now, one of the things I get to do professionally is attend this uh, virtual summit on how to be a more effective instructional coach. And I'm taking some more uh, courses with Elena Aguilar, who is uh, who's just this amazing thoughtful person around coaching. And she's always talking about the importance of slowing down and really giving yourself the time to think and to reflect and to move at a pace that feels good. And I think as educators, sometimes we have these big standards we want to reach to. And really, if you just slow down and then take each moment step by step, you end up reaping a lot more from that. Do you think we're given permission now to slow down? I mean, as before, we didn't really have that permission, not just internally in our heads, but from like other colleagues or demands from your administration or whatever. Well, I've given myself permission to slow down and our district has given us permission to slow down. And so we're going from that point of view. Um, sometimes I don't think teachers, they don't give that for themselves. We can't do the same amount. And I, I love the fact that, this is my bias, um, that we do not have state tests this year, right? They were canceled. And so that has given you this amazing amount of breathing space to be able to focus on the moment and to just go with where kids are. And I think that's an important thing is that you have to work from where people are. And if so, you don't work from where people are, it's not going to go. What's, you know, you can't go anywhere. And I think that's an important lesson. For sure. Yeah. I, I totally agree. It's like there's room for creativity now and flexibility. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, I, I tried to teach an AP class at one point and uh, I just felt straight jacketed. Like I couldn't pivot. I couldn't get the kids what they really needed uh, because I was just so focused on what was the, the demands for the test, you know? Yeah. Um, so you've talked about a lot of silver linings in all of this. If you had to narrow it down to one silver lining, what would you choose and why? I think for me, the biggest silver lining for me is actually has been experiencing the joy of learning something new because um, I'm a learner anyway, but I have been given permission to learn things that are outside of what I probably have been doing. And that has been, that's exciting. Um, that's one of my biggest silver linings. The other one is I'm finding ways to connect with people through this Zoom experience, um, whether it's a Zoom birthday party or a Zoom anniversary party. Um, I'm just looking at the ingenuity of people, my colleagues, my family, and like my 80, my mom's in the mid 80s and she's learning how to Zoom, right? <laughs> and so like the risk taking that we're going, can we tap into that? Um, I'm also concerned that this whole thing, I think this is actually a silver lining, has brought to the forefront some of the inequities in education. And for me, it's you cannot go back to normal. 
we need to begin to address the fact that we have so many inequities. And how are we going to support the cognitive development of all? Um, and how are you going to create that for people? You cannot go backwards. You have to say, these are real problems and we need to figure them out. So kind of going off of that, here's your platform to speak to policymakers, politicians, administrators. What do you want them to change or policies you want them to adopt as we look to next school year and as we reimagine the future of education? I don't know where to go with that, but I think, for instance, like the funding of schools is so inequitable, right? Um, And I think that we need public schools and we need to recognize that every person has a right to a really good education. And if we want that to happen, then we need to really fund it and create that movement that allows people to do that. And you have to, like one of the things I remember, I I did a, a tech thing and we got to go to Google. And I remember sitting in the, their courtyard, has this beautiful stream running through it, these beautiful Adirondack chi- chairs and this green space. And then when you're in the building, there are whiteboards everywhere. And then I think about, we're sending kids to school in these brick buildings that were built in the 1900s that are small and they're crowded. And where can thinking happen? So we're like, how do we imagine the space? And if you really value learning, how do we create that space so that teachers and all people in that building are there? Uh, the other, in, other piece is that there is so much trauma that people have experienced from this. Um, how are we going to provide support for everyone to heal from this? A collective thing, right? Individually and collectively. And it can't be for just the people that have health care that can get the help. It has to be for all of us somewhere. So maybe we'll come out of this thinking that the people who are keeping our economy going are actually important people. Your grocery store workers, the mailman, you know, the teacher, right? Essential workers. Yeah, all the essential workers. We're, we're, we're important people. It's funny. like Nurses keep t- and physicians, right? Yeah, it's funny they keep talking about who's designated as an essential worker. Isn't everybody? I mean, definitely everybody who keeps the economy going, delivers food, grows and picks the food. Uh, (laughs) That's kind of essential, isn't it? Yep. All people in our country are valuable, right? Absolutely. Can we recognize that and kind of join together collectively so that we don't go backwards? So important. If you could leave one piece of advice for teachers or parents or policymakers about remote learning, what would it be? I think remote learning when planned for, it's going to be much better than remote learning as an emergency. So thinking about how do you, in the future, how do we make sure that we are all building our ability to do this? But rem- <laughs> Learning doesn't happen just inside a building. It happens all around you. 
you know, I'm thinking about what are the funds of knowledge that you have in your family that you can tap into, right? How do you, how do you grow that and help and just really recognize that it's really important. And for policymakers, like how do you think about school more flexibly, right? Right now we're, we're, we get a certain amount of money for a person who shows up in a building, but there's more to learning than showing up in your building, right? So how do you figure that out? Absolutely. I don't know if it's advice, but it's something to think about. Definitely. Like, just refiguring out the the formula <laughs> and if you're going to fund schools. How does it work? Is it minutes sitting in a chair? <laughs> like that sounds like, like penalty, you know, it doesn't sound like enjoyable fun. It's not following passion. It's not exciting. It's not. And like you said, there's learning that should happen everywhere. So how do you reward that? How do you support that? Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to share about school closures or remote work? The one thing that, uh, this whole thing is highlighted is um, and this is really working with the people that I work with um, the amount of commitment that teachers have uh, staff have for our students is quite high and that people are working incredibly hard to make sure that this is successful um, and so it's sort of like thank that person next to you, right? And really be grateful. And parents are doing the same. You know, they're at home with kids and they're working and doing what they need to do. And just really, we have to have, give ourselves a pat on the back and know that we're doing the best we can and we're in it together. It's beautiful. I just have, I'm in awe of how people are doing things. Yeah. Um, I'm, I don't have kids at home, so it's just me and my husband. And so that's a very different learning environment than if I had my uh, four-year-old and eight-year-old and I'm supposed to be working and they are doing school. Um, and so there's a lot of courageous people out there. That's great. Well, Teresa Arsenal, thank you so much for this conversation. It was so great chatting with you. Thank you. It was a pleasure meeting you. If you like the podcast, rate us and write us a review. It helps people find us. And don't forget to sign up for our monthly email newsletter. You can find the details on our website, changethenarrative.net.